Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. Father God, we praise you. We desire to magnify your name today. Jesus, your name is above every other name. You deserve all glory and honor and worship. And and at your name, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. And and we confess this, Lord, uh, not by our own uh, ability, but because of your spirit within us, allowing us and helping us to proclaim that we live for you as our king. We ask for your forgiveness this morning for how we have fallen short how we so easily give into temptation and fail often to put you first. We plead the blood of Christ this morning for our forgiveness, but also for our sanctification. We long to look like you, Jesus. We long to live for you so that others can come to know you, but most importantly, for your glory. And we need your help to do so. Lord, I want to thank you for how you've provided this last several weeks, workers for the harvest. I thank you for the workers for the harvest at sports camp, Lord. Thank you for the 11 lives that you saved during that camp. Lord, help us to reach out to those families, to disciple them, to help them live for you. I pray that you continue to turn the hearts of the members of this church into those who desire to serve you, to serve the community. Lord, I ask you to continue to raise up workers for the harvest. I thank you that you always provide. Lord, we lift before you the final camp starting tomorrow. We're looking forward to that, and we pray as those who are working that camp that you would grant endurance uh, We're growing weary toward the end of the month, Lord, and we need your help. We need your strength. We ask that you would breathe new life into the weak and the struggling struggling in their faith, Uh, the young men and women who will be there. I pray that you raise up pastors and missionaries and godly doctors and teachers and husbands and wives and and however they will live from that point on, Lord, that you would raise up godly people, that you would save the lost. Lord, and I ask the same this morning among this congregation. If any who are lost, would you bring them to yourself? If any who are straying, would you turn them around? If any who are weak, would you strengthen them by the power of your spirit? Lord, would you humble the proud and give conviction to the sinner and shine light on those who are in darkness? I ask that you would move in a mighty way, and I thank you because I know you will. Your word never returns void. Help me to preach this morning, Lord, to proclaim your word. I can't change one heart in here, but you can. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, my Lord and my God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, kiddos, you have to stay. No, I'm kidding. You can go.
but you're missing an amazing feat. We're covering almost 40 verses. Well, good morning, church. Again, if you're not in the text with me, I want you, I'm going to say constantly, look at the text, and I actually want you to look at the text. So um, there is a Bible around you if you don't have one. Humanity has a universal problem. It affects how we think. It affects how we dress, uh, how we decide one thing or another, how we react to issues and problems and trials, how we talk to one another. That problem, you might be thinking sin, is the fear of rejection. This isn't just the fear of being rejected when asking someone out on a date. That's not the only fear of rejection. It's not uh, the fear only of being turned down for a job or denied permission to, to do something. The fear of rejection can be seen every single time you struggle with peer pressure. When you struggle um, with how you're going to be seen by your peers. The fear of rejection can be seen in being overcommitted, never able to say no to something, to someone, because we always need to please a person. The fear of rejection can be seen in needing something from your spouse, needing them to listen to you, needing them to fulfill a need, needing them to respect you, because if you can't control your spouse, they might reject you, or if you don't submit to your spouse, then they might reject you. We see the fear of rejection and always second-guessing our decisions, afraid we might look bad in someone else's eyes, so we have to adjust or constantly question ourselves. We see this played out all the time on social media, putting our best life forward, our best pictures forward, afraid that if someone actually sees our real life and how things are going in our family, we might be rejected. Anytime we fear man over God, we're placing man in God's place and we're expecting sinners to fill the place of the holy and righteous God and that will never, ever work. You will always be disappointed. You will always be let down. You will always be rejected in one sense or another. But Jesus Christ endures complete rejection. Complete rejection. So that those who believe in him may receive full acceptance with the Father. Jesus was rejected in every single way. So that we could hear, you are mine. You are accepted. I will never leave you or forsake you. You were loved, adopted, forgiven, redeemed. And that far outweighs acceptance or rejection from others. So this morning we're going to look at the complete rejection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to start with Rejection from the Father all the way down to rejection from the mocking crowds around him. So begin, we're going to begin looking at how Jesus was rejected by the Father. That should make you a little uncomfortable. Good. Verses 39 through 46. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. 
And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. These introductory verses are going to set us up for the rest of the passage. All the way to the cross, actually. Because here we're going to see the rejection of Jesus Christ, but we're also going to see the obedience of Jesus Christ through the hardest situations. And we're also going to hear his command, rise and pray that you do not enter into temptation. And that's our call, his call for us to depend on him completely. Depend on the one who died to set us free. You see, Jesus modeled a praying life. We see that here. He withdrew. Um, he went, came out and went as was his custom. Jesus was a man of prayer. In constant connection with the Father, constantly seeking the Father's will, always drawing strength from the Father. Church, this is God incarnate. This is God, the triune God in perfect relationship, always discussing, always in communion. Jesus had the custom of praying. How much more if God himself is in constant communication with himself, how much more do we need to bathe every single moment of our lives in prayer? It's either pride or ignorance if we attempt the Christian life apart from prayer. If I attempt to live the Christian life by myself, I'm either proud and I think way too highly of myself or I'm just ignorant that I need help every moment. Jesus models praying constantly. He models praying by faith. This prayer is not an easy one for him. He's in torment. He's fully human and fully God. And he's feeling these two things pull against each other. He knows he's going to die. He knows he's going to be betrayed and rejected and beat and suffer. He knows he's about to face this miserable death on the cross. He's seen people crucified before. He knit us together. He knows what the pain's going to feel like. And listen to his prayer. Father, verse 42, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Verse 44, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and the sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. He's in torment. Anxiety, far more than we have ever felt, far more than we could ever imagine is going on in him as, as fully God and fully man, and he knows what's about to happen, and his agony is seen in great drops of blood coming down, but he prays, not my will, but yours be done, because he, in faith, knows the Father's decision is perfect. And he trusts him. Do you believe that, church? I think, we, 
I think we do for the most part. I, I think we would say, yeah, I believe God would do that. I know he's perfect. I know his decisions are perfect, but we fail, right? Like, we're not Jesus in this story. We are the disciples, more like the disciples at least. But Jesus encourages us when we fail. He, he goes to the disciples, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now is the time for the church to rise and pray and tell others of Jesus Christ. To live for Christ. To anchor our lives in the completed work of Jesus Christ. And participate with him in the advancing of his kingdom. Have you fallen asleep in your faith, church? Jesus is saying, arise and pray. Have you fallen asleep in your obedience? Arise and pray. Have you fallen asleep in your prayer life? Arise and pray. But I think the reason a lot of us do not pray as we ought, the reason a lot of us fall short in prayer is because we don't believe we are accepted like we are. We oftentimes receive the lie of darkness that we are going to be rejected by God instead. Maybe it's because of the sin in our lives. We're forgetting that he paid for all sin, past, present, and future. Maybe it's because we misunderstand his grace. We think this is something that I need to earn and he, he won't accept me unless I earn it. Maybe it's because we don't understand the work of Jesus Christ completed on the cross. Maybe it's because we have misconceptions of prayer, forgetting that the Lord desires us to pray to him. The Son prays with us. The Holy Spirit prays for us. And when we anchor our mind in the truths of Scripture, we will rise and pray. But Jesus, knowing our failure, knowing our struggles, was rejected by the Father so that we would not be rejected. In verse 42, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. He's asking the Father to remove this cup. He's asking for another way. If you could do anything else, let's do it. Because he knows what the cup has. And, and the reader, the Jewish reader, would know what the cup actually means here. It's not just, it's not just a bottle of water um, that he's going to drink. It's not refreshing. The cup has two references. First, it's God's wrath. Wake up, or wake yourselves, wake yourselves, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk the, to the dregs the bowl of the cup of staggering. We see it again. Oh, let me keep reading. Oh, no, this is Revelation. And another angel, a third, followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead and on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath 
poured full strength into the cup of his anger and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of his holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. One commentator, he says, uh, the cup uh, that he's referring to is like wine that intoxicates and causes men to stumble so the wrath of God will make men stagger in his judgment. In order to save sinners from their sin, the Lord Jesus will have to drink or suffer that wrath in our place. He knows what he's about to drink. He knows he's about to take God's wrath for us. But this cup is also God's salvation toward those who believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus prays three times. Three times for this cup of judgment to be removed from him, and he hears every time, no. 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 So that when we pray, we hear yes. So that when we pray, Lord, I am a sinner. I deserve your wrath for my sin. I deserve you to reject me as a son. I deserve for you to punish me. But in Jesus Christ, who drank that cup on my behalf, because of him, would you remove this cup of your wrath from me? And every time we will hear, yes, Jesus paid it all. Yes, in Jesus we receive eternal life. We drink not from the cup of wrath, from the cup of salvation. That's what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. We're drinking from the cup of salvation. And now we pray as accepted children of God. And prayer, it protects us from temptation now. Not that we won't be tempted. That's, that's not what he's saying, because the problem with that is the whole Bible. But falling into temptation. So when we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we're praying, Lord, when I am tempted, don't give me over to the evil one. Protect my heart. Give me strength by your spirit in me. And when Jesus is saying, um, rise and pray that you don't enter into temptation, he's saying, because I might answer that. I might help you if you just would do it. No, he's saying, pray it because I will. I will deliver you. I will answer it. I will strengthen you. Prayer is always answered, but sometimes with a no. But God's no's, not his no's, but his knows to our prayers do not equate to his abandonment. He's not abandoning us when he says no. Jesus was strengthened. We look at the text. Father, if you're willing, verse 42, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. But get this, he's not there to strengthen him by delivering him out of what's coming. He's there to 
strengthen him so that he doesn't fall into temptation and leave the cross. He's strengthening him so that he will die for you and me, so that he will die for the sins of those being saved. That's why he's strengthening him. He knows he will not be abandoned. It says in Psalm 16, 10, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. He knows he will be risen, but he knows I have to suffer and die. So I need to be strengthened to walk that line that God has me on. And we too should know this, church. Paul tells us in Romans 8.32, He, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If he's going to give you his son, if he's going to die in your place, why would he not give you everything else he's promised you? Why would he say, well, nah, I've gone far enough. God's saying no to our prayers. It also doesn't mean a bad outcome. And you say, uh, have you read the next chapter? Jesus dies. But the death of Jesus also meant, we see in Philippians 2, therefore God, because of his death on the cross, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So yes, he heard no, but he is also exalted to the place he is in now. Listen, the Lord may say no to our requests, but his promise is to lift us up. So prayer requires some effort. It requires a whole lot of self-denial. We actually have to rise and pray like we're called to. We have to be willing to deny ourselves and deny our own desires and say, oh, maybe I don't know more than God does. We have to be willing to submit completely to the perfect will of God. And Jesus shows us how to do that here. But then this part right here, and I'm pointing in my Bible like you're looking at it with me, um, his no from the Father His rejection from the Father, it sets up this cascade of rejection by others. So now we start seeing that the Father removes his hand of grace from Jesus and he allows him to experience his wrath fully, starting with the betrayal of Judas. We see Jesus is rejected by Judas. Here we see the power of darkness working against Jesus. We've already seen this if you look back to verses 3 and 4 in chapter 22. It says, Then Satan entered into Judas and uh, called Iscariot, who was the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray Jesus to them. Satan's already working in Judas's heart, and we see here in our text Uh, In verse 47, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them, and he drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? It was this intimate expression of friendship. 
It would be weird for us today, but it's, it's how they said it. We're, we're friends, intimate friends. And Satan's working in Judas's heart to reject Jesus as a friend. But he doesn't just reject him as a friend. He rejects him as Lord and as Savior. At that moment, the power of darkness blinds people to see Jesus as the light. Judas was with Jesus every day, day in and day out for three years, and his heart remained hard. Maybe you're here this morning and your heart has been hardened toward Jesus. I'm telling you, that is the power of darkness blinding you to the truth. This is how John opens his gospel. He says, the light shines into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That light is Jesus Christ. We also see the darkness working throughout the text. From those who come to arrest Jesus... Verse 49, and when they, uh, those were, who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? That's the disciples. And one of them just went ahead and did it and struck the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. After this miraculous healing, he's lopped off his ear and he sticks it back on. And they still arrest him. I'm like, I don't know how many times I've read this. And I'm like, I can't believe how blind people are. But it's not, it's, it's explained. Let me just explain it with scripture. It's, the Lord's a lot more articulate than I am. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. The reason they can't see is because they're dead. They're dead in their sin. Look, if I'm by a dead person and Jesus sticks my ear on, they're not going to go, whoa, they're dead. They don't know. That's what's going on here. The same, we see the same in 2 Corinthians. And even if the gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, that would be Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. They're blind. They're dead. They cannot see. So when we get to this and when we get into the world and we say, I can't believe people don't see Jesus. It's because they're dead in their sin. And we can pray for their hearts to be made alive. And we can continue to love them. Just like Jesus shows us here. He doesn't throw his ear in the bush. He puts it back on him. He, he says no more of this. We also see the power of darkness in the religious leaders, those who know the word of God, those who should have recognized Jesus, and it turns them into violent people. They come out with clubs and swords. It turns them into deceptive people, paying one of the disciples to deceive Jesus. It turns them into doubting people, we'll see later on in the text. But Jesus allows himself to experience rejection by Judas and the powers of darkness so that he can defeat darkness on the cross. That's the reason he came. 
1 John 3, 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Early on in Luke, I said, this this is the passage we're going to keep coming back to. This is the reason why Jesus came. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He set me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The reason he has come is to overcome the powers of darkness. Because Jesus is destroying darkness, we can rest assured that the power of darkness is losing its grip on us. We're called out of darkness into marvelous light, we see in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of of darkness into marvelous light. He says, you're no longer blind. You're no longer ignorant to what, the, what Christ has done. Now you know. And now go tell other people. And even in sanctification, as he's making us look like him, darkness is losing its grip on us. Addictions start to fade away. Bad habits, bad attitudes, they start to reduce. Not overnight, just ask my family, but it it happens more and more and more. Darkness is losing its grip on our hearts. We're new creations. New desires start to take place of harmful desires. We're looking more and more like Jesus, but I think so many Christians do not progress in the Christian life because they do not grow um, because they still don't believe they're accepted and loved by God. If that's you this morning, listen, Jesus allowed himself to be completely rejected, to suffer, to die so that you could be accepted. Would the father turn from saving his son if he wasn't willing to deliver you? That's impossible. Rise and pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil and believe it, church. We also see how the Father's no and the removing of cup of wrath from Jesus leads to his rejection by Peter. Now, there's a difference between wickedness and weakness. Uh, In weakness, Peter doesn't heed Jesus' warnings. He says, you're going to deny me. And he says, oh, no, I'm not. And he does. We just saw that. But it was wickedness in Judas that allowed him to be indwelled by Satan and to reject the Christ. Weakness does not equal wickedness, church. Like, you will stumble as a believer. You will fail. You will, like Peter, deny Christ with either your life or your words. And that doesn't mean you're going to hell. That means salvation doesn't depend on your work and earning your way and keeping your way. But rejection of Jesus does equal wickedness. It does reveal a heart turned from God. 
it does reveal a heart given over to darkness. And one that will, if you reject Christ, uh, draining the cup of uh, wrath from God, you are rejecting that and you will have to drink that cup yourself. So what do we learn from Jesus' rejection by Peter? We learn that friends will fail us and we will fail our friends. We're broken. We're weak. We overcommit ourselves. We fail to love as we ought to love. We're twisted and and selfish at times. We're sinful. We're fickle. We're emotional. Like, we will fail. We're not God. I don't know if you came in thinking you were God in here. I got a news flash for you. You're not. We have to understand that we can't exalt someone into the place of God, and we certainly better not exalt ourselves into his place. Our friends, our spouses, our our followers on whatever, Twitter, that's not even a thing anymore, is it? TikTok. They're not the answer. Jesus was crushed beyond repair. Uh, Excuse me. He was not crushed beyond repair when Peter denied him. He was brokenhearted, I'm certain. But his eyes were on the Father. His eyes were on the faithfulness of of the Father, not on Peter. His hope was not banking on Peter, not rejecting him. It was on the Father, saving him, raising him up. We have to be that way also, because we're not resting our hope on friends that know to fail, that will fail us. Our hope is on the one who will never, ever fail us. Jesus is the friend of sinners who will never leave us or forsake us. It tells us uh, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, whom he has come to turn your hearts around. And he says, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He allows himself to be betrayed by Peter, his dear friend, so he can pour out upon us the immeasurable grace of God. And just quickly, in his turning and looking at Peter, look at the text. It's such a powerful scene. Verse 60, and Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord and how He had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And turning and looking at Peter, not only was Jesus brokenhearted, but he knew at that moment, I am dying for that sin right there. I am going to the cross for you, Peter. I am going to pay for that sin Like the convicting gaze of Christ in our lives is not meant to crush you in sin. It's to draw you to his amazing grace. So we rise and pray, lead us not into temptation, but keep us from finding our hope and strength in anyone but you, Jesus. Jesus is also rejected by the mockers. Jesus allows himself to be rejected by mockers to fulfill prophecy. 
We see in Psalm 22, I'm not a worm and not a man. I am, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. All who seek me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Rishon surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like raving and roaring lions. Dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Isaiah says the same kind of thing. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and esteemed not. He was oppressed, afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, like sheep that were before the shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus fulfills the prophecy that he would be rejected by the mocking crowd around him. And why is that important? Because he knew that. And he was still obedient. Because it reveals that he is the Messiah, Come to save. It it reveals that Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. He will fulfill all other prophecies. Because we've seen the written plan of God and his rejection. Knowing he's going to have this for our acceptance. It says in Isaiah, he was crushed for our iniquities. By his wounds we are healed. And we were all once and sometimes we still are mockers of Christ. Because we came to Christ, before we came to Christ, we we mocked Christ every time we rejected him. And we mocked him every time we gave glory to someone or something else. Many mocked Jesus by using his name as a curse word or using his name flippantly. The Ten Commandments tell us, do not take my name in vain. The Lord, do not take the Lord's name in vain. And that certainly means don't use his name flippantly or as a curse word. But I think more importantly, it means do not use his name. I am a Christian. I am a Christ follower and not living like that. That is using his name in vain. When we claim the name of Christ to get into heaven but live like hell on earth, we're mocking the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you think, man, I'm in trouble, but there's forgiveness for blasphemers. Jesus was rejected by mockers so he could die for mockers. Luke 12, 10 It tells us, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. We will be forgiven the sin of mockery. But those who reject the movement of the Spirit as he reveals the Messiah will not be forgiven. So unbeliever, turn and receive forgiveness and live for Christ. Believer, Remember whose name you represent. Remember whose name you claim and, and, and walk and talk and live like that. And you will be mocked, just like Jesus was mocked. But you should rejoice 
Because he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. So we rise and pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the mocking lives we live and strengthen us for the mocking we will receive. And finally, the Father's no is seen in Jesus' rejection by the priests. He allows himself to be rejected by the priests, by the ones who should have known him, but in that rejection becomes the faithful high priest. He replaces the crooked shepherds of Israel. And Ezekiel says, as I live, declares the Lord, surely because my sheep have become a prey, my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, so he's calling out the, the priests and the scribes and the elders. He said, you're not shepherding my people. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, and my shepherds have fled themselves, or fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. That's what he does. He makes atonement for our sins on the cross. He intercedes on our behalf. He dies to become the good shepherd. Then we turn and we're made into priests that represent him, not like those priests who reject him, but those who go and bear witness about him here on earth. So we pray, we rise and pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from doubt and rejection and prepare us for the mission set before us. Jesus endures complete Rejection so that we could receive complete acceptance. If you've spent your life rejecting Jesus, I want you to know he spent his life to pay for yours. And he's calling you to believe in him as the one true Savior. Cry out to Jesus for forgiveness. Repent, turn from your sin, follow Jesus. Christian, you already know by confession you're accepted by Christ. You you confess that. But are you living that way? Are you praying that way? Are you loving that way? We often confess Jesus with our mouths but deny him with our lives. And if that's you this morning, repent and follow Jesus. Don't allow guilt to bury you. You're accepted by God and Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we praise you because I can't imagine what you went through in saying no and rescuing your one and only son. We see in scripture the torment that Jesus felt, but we don't know the torment that you felt. But you endured that, and Jesus, you endured the cross so that we could become children of God. I pray, Lord, that 
you would be exalted and glorified. That you would anchor these truths down into our hearts. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.